The following content is for mature audiences only and may be seen as graphic and is not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Infertile Millennial. Today, we have special guest Jenna. She's going to be talking about her journey with IVF and sharing ways to cope with that dreaded two-week wait after your fertility treatments when you're waiting to get your beta results. Jenna's also going to share how do you tell your partner that you know you're going to struggle with fertility before you get married or even after you get married and you might discover it afterwards. Before marrying her now husband, Jenna knew that she was going to struggle conceiving. Jenna had to communicate this with her current husband and she's going to share how she did that and give tips for those of you who might know you're struggling and you want to know how do I tell my partner. And we're going to get into Jenna after this quick message. Are you or someone you know struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss? Shop Infertile Millennial is a dedicated gift shop to show your support, send a little sunshine, remind yourself of the warrior in you, or offer encouragement to someone you know struggling with infertility. Gifts for those grieving pregnancy loss, experiencing infertility, or going through fertility treatments to remind you of your strength and bravery. Shop now at www.infertilemillennial.com. Thank you so much, Jenna, for coming on today. Um... So if you wanted to kind of just tell me a little bit about yourself and your husband, where you're from, when did you meet your husband, when did you get married? Yeah, sure. Well, um, thank you for having me. Um, Let's see. I was raised in Hawaii. I currently live in Paso Robles, California. Um, I met my husband when I was bartending. He actually used to come into my work with his then-girlfriend, and he would, like, leave me extra tips and I was like this is so weird is he flirting with me because he's like with his girlfriend like needless to say she didn't she didn't last (laughs) and yeah and then we we were together for five years and we got married in 2019 okay nice So you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that you sat down with your husband to have a conversation about the struggles that you would have trying to conceive. Can you explain, first of all, what struggles were you aware of? Yeah, so I I was married before my husband. He brought home an STD. Wow. Yes, and luckily it was a curable STD, but... um, I had no symptoms. It was chlamydia. I had okay. no sim- I had no symptoms, no nothing. You would never think that anything was wrong. And so I had obviously had it for a while because you know you don't go to the gynecologist every two months. So right. <laughs> I I showed up for my regular, you know, at that point it was still annual visits. Now I think it's like every two years or three years or something. But the doctor was down there and kind of like poked his head up. And he was like, by any chance, like, have you ever had chlamydia? And I was like, super offended because one, it's like, I'm sitting here, I'm married, you know, obviously, what are you talking about? Dealing with the STD, uh, 
Going back to the doctor, they told me that it had caused a lot of damage in my fallopian tubes. So there was a lot of scar tissue, this balloon up into your fallopian tubes and they like blow it up to break up the scar tissue. And he said, you know, there's a small chance that it could make it worse. And of course, I was the small chance that made it worse. So, mm -hmm. and that was, uh, I'm 34 now. And that was when I was like 25. Wow, that's a lot to deal with at 25. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard for me, probably more recently. Um, I mean, back then, of course, there was like a betrayal and, you know, your marriage is falling apart, but it didn't really affect me until, you know, I was getting remarried and had to have that conversation with my husband. So what exactly, you said that it could make it worse. What ended up happening when you went with through with that procedure? So the scar tissue didn't break up and it actually kind of created more scarring. So m- both of my tubes are 100% blocked. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's no, there's no miracle you know, that lovely saying, just relax, it'll happen. Oh, <laughs> preach. Like literally that is your, your story is a incredible example as to why I get so frustrated with people who say that because how is relaxing going to cure female factor infertility, male factor, it's not going to cure it. So what, it, like they're talking as though you don't have a diagnosis, which is incredibly insensitive. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So, so then you knew that you were going to have an issue trying to conceive. So how did that conversation go when you sat your husband down? So it was, it was before we, we got married and it was, it was kind of like a conversation that we were having when we were talking about getting married. He, his family is from Egypt, so he's Middle Eastern. The whole process of like getting engaged and getting married is is very different than like you just meet somebody, you're like, woohoo, I'm in love with you, let's get married. It's very like involve the family, make sure it's the right fit. Obviously, I didn't have this conversation right away with like his mother, but I just sat him down and just said, look, you know, I was completely honest. I just said that, you know, when I was married before, my husband at the time had given me an STD and this is, that was just very factual about everything and that for us to have a child, it's going to be a long road. Yeah, so what did what did exactly did he say? Was he pretty understanding and supportive of it? Yeah, he, he was. I mean, my husband's very hard to read. <laughs> I mean, he's very, like, unemotional sometimes, like, which isn't a bad, I mean, it is a bad thing, it isn't a bad thing, but he was very, like, matter-of-fact and was like, cool, like, we know what we're up against, like, we know what we're gonna have to do, and when the time comes, we'll do it. Before I move on, I actually wanted to ask you, was there anything, once you did that procedure, what did your doctors tell you at that point was your option? I did the procedure when I was getting a divorce at that point. So I didn't really have, I knew that I always wanted to have kids, but there was no sense of urgency like at that moment. You know, I wasn't, I mean, if I could have fast forwarded and known what my process would have been like, I would have made different decisions at that point. But my doctor pretty much told me like to be very, very careful and to use protection, not not because of diseases, but because of like ectopic pregnancies and stuff like that. He was just very concerned that, you know, if if I were 
to get pregnant that it would be an ectopic pregnancy. So from the age of 25 until, you know, just a couple of years ago, I was always on birth control, you know, never, you know, just because I was so scared. Yeah, that's understandable. What advice would you give to someone who knowingly struggles with infertility on how to communicate those concerns with your partner? Um, I think that brutal honesty is really the most important thing, especially when it's coming from, you know, this, this is affecting both of your lives. And, you know, what I've learned is like being in a doctor's office in a doctor's room with your husband, like everything comes out. And it's always like a conversation and it's always, you know, it's very matter of fact, you know, my doctor, my fertility doctor has brought up like the effects of chlamydia numerous times, like in in the room and if I wasn't honest with my husband my husband would be like what the heck is he talking about you know so I think I think just brutal 100% honesty about about everything is just key because you don't want to get yourself into a situation where you know you're four years down the line into your marriage and then all of a sudden you have to explain why you're not getting pregnant yeah I think that's really good Uh, definitely just be honest and and like you said, talking about it, if you know about it before getting married, don't keep that a secret, you know, so you get over that finish line and they're like, oh, by the way, like definitely, yeah, definitely tell them before and just be as honest as possible. Because I think if you have a strong relationship, then it, it really shouldn't be a make or break thing. It's just you're being honest about what might come. Sure, 100%. And I think, I mean, honestly, I think the whole the whole process of infertility and the whole struggle of infertility. Like, I mean, I, this is a really messed up word to say because it's such a horrible thing and I would never wish it upon my worst enemy, but it's a very special thing to go through. And the whole process is very, I, I, it's hard to explain. It's just, it's very, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's actually helped our relationship more than it's hurt our relationship. You know, when you say that, I swear every single person I've interviewed has said the exact same thing. I feel like I've actually said this exact same sentence in a previous interview because I think people don't realize that, like, I think they'd be surprised that it's helpful because I think what it does is it kind of forces you to it's kind of make or break really so if it's going to make you it's going to really make you you're going to learn a lot about each other you're going to learn a lot about yourself how to be a partner it's surprisingly does bring you a lot closer together oh it really does yeah so what advice would you give to couples who are struggling to conceive on keeping a strong relationship i would say don't let infertility and the process completely consume your daily lives I had to learn that the hard way my first my first round I think I was so absolutely consumed in everything that was happening and I had to read every article and I had to watch every video and I had to follow every person and it was like my husband was looking at me like oh my gosh you're insane (laughs) You know, and like, what time is dinner going to be made because I've been home for two hours? You know, like, I that would be my biggest advice is just make sure if you're going to do the research, like cut out a couple hours a day, cut out, you know, a small amount of time and don't let it consume your relationship. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a two, when a when a lot of people start their first round of whatever fertility treatment they're doing, 
it completely consumes them because they've never done it before. So they want to make sure everything is perfect. And I was definitely very guilty of that. I think, I mean, my life literally was nothing but fertility the first time I ever did it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that you're right. That's really important to remember that like, this is just one part of your life. Right. You're still a couple focus on that. Try to balance it out a little bit more. So was there anything that you tried doing before IVF or was IVF the only option you were given? I mean, IVF was really the only smart and like safe option for us. So was that pretty, did you guys like pretty quickly decide to go right in with that after you got married or did you wait a minute after you got married to start all of that? Yeah. So, I mean, we were probably married for like six months before I started kind of going to the doctor and figuring out like the whole process that I was going to have to go through. There's an age that's always thrown out there that like terrified me. I always hear people saying like 34, 34, like you want to make sure that you have your eggs and your embryos like ready before you turn 34. So I always had that looming age in my head. So I wanted to start pretty, pretty quickly. So why don't you tell us about your first round of IVF? Yeah. So our our first round, I, I went in thinking probably what everyone thinks on their first round of that, like, it's going to be so easy and it's going to work. And I'm not going to be that person that has to do this like a million times. I'm going to be that one person that you always see on Instagram, right? That they have one round and it works and it's perfect. And so I went in absolutely thinking that was going to be me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really do any preparation going into my first round. And I remember the doctor telling me like that our egg quality and count was very low. So I was testing at like a much older age. So not to expect that I was going to be that anomaly that you will also see when people post, we got 29 eggs. Yeah. And you know what, too, just to, I don't, not to interrupt you, but I mean, we went in the same way and our doctor was like, he was like, no, I want you guys as a client because you're so young and healthy and this is going to work. Like there's just no, there's no way. So even if you do get like the 20 some eggs, we still aren't pregnant after two rounds, right? Like it still didn't work. So yeah, I think a lot of people do go into their first round and they're like, oh, this is so going to work. It's going to be, this is my time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... We went through the whole process. We ended up at the end of everything having two embryos. And because it was our first round, you know, the doctor was like, you have an option to test them, you know, and see, you know, if they're normal, if they're abnormal, if they're mosaic. And of course, I still had that in my mind that it was going to work. And my husband was like, oh, no, it's going to, you don't need to test them. Like, no problem. Yeah, sure. So we implanted both of them and beta day. Well, I should say I didn't wait until beta. I probably ordered like 7,000 pregnancy tests off of Amazon because Mm -hmm. I told myself I was not going to be that person to like go to Rite and like buy all of them. I was like, I'll just order them from Amazon so that I can secretly be a psycho. So I tested the whole entire way. Never got positive. So I knew going into beta that it hadn't worked. I feel like that's such a hard um, 
because that's how my first round was too, where I was like, how do you not test first of all? Like, how are there people out there who just don't? Because you, it's different than if someone were just trying naturally and maybe they're pregnant, but it's like, no, I know there's an embryo in there. So like, it's gotta take. So, and I feel like that moment of, um, maybe you felt the same way as I did, but it would be, I think it's about 10 days between your transfer and when you get your beta. So it was night number nine that I took a test and it was negative and I just like cried. I was like, there's no way this is gonna be positive. And it's so hard to go in there and get your blood taken and you already know what the result is gonna be. And so did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I was the one that was like Googling and like looking at everyone's positive pregnancy tests on Instagram. And it was like, okay, they tested four days past five day transfer. I'm four days past five day transfer. They got a positive. Why aren't I getting a positive? So I think every time I didn't get a positive, it was like a dagger to my heart. And I kept doing it to myself over and over and then I found myself lying to my husband because he was like you need to stop okay like calm down stop taking pregnancy tests just wait the 10 days like he thinks it's so easy he's like come on just wait so he comes home he's like you tested didn't you I'm like no secretly I've tested like five times you know and and I know going into beta like you know it's a no but you still have that small tiny bit of hope that like Maybe it's going to come back and you're going to be like, you're pregnant, you know? And and then when you get that call and they're like, I'm so sorry, it's like a dagger again. It's, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, it's the worst. And honestly, like, I think this time around, I'm going to have them call my husband with the results because it's so hard to take it yourself. You're already so emotional with all of the hormones going on and all that stuff. And so it's like, I kind of wish they would have just told my husband and not me, but... You know, it's something you learn when you're going through it. How long after your failed IVF round did you try another? So we went in for our second round pretty much right away. I wanted to kind of like ride the the wave of already having like the medication in mm. in my system. Not like that, not like it like would help in any in any way, but in my head I was like, my body's already going through this. I don't want to let it heal and then start all over so I'm like let's just do it so we started our second one pretty pretty close probably I mean I probably let myself have one one period and then start yeah yeah I feel like that's honestly if you are mentally prepared for that and emotionally like definitely I would recommend that as well because it is a lot once you start it's just like this big snowball effect so once you're in it it's like you kind of don't want to like get out of it for a minute because then you go back to normal life and you're like, oh, do I want to do this again? So I think it's pretty common. Yeah. Like people just like, all right, let's do the next one. If you feel ready emotionally and all that, like definitely do it. So what happened with your second round of IVF? So our second round of IVF, I believe at the end had two, two embryos. And this time I was like, I'm testing and nobody was going to talk me out of it. Like, because that must've been the reason that it didn't work. That's the only reason in my head that it it couldn't have worked. So we tested the two embryos that we got and one was abnormal and then one was mosaic. 
Okay, so that must have been a little bit frustrating then for you. Can you explain to those who don't know what mosaic means? So yeah, so it's an embryo that's tested and it comes back with both normal and abnormal genes. So it's kind of like a, it could be normal or it couldn't be normal. My doctor also showed me like the chromosomes that were not correct. You know, and kind of explains that, you know, the likelihood of, you know, the embryo ending up being a, you know, a positive pregnancy is not likely. And a lot of people get confused with the whole, um, like, mosaic or abnormal embryo. They think that something's going to be wrong with your baby. You know, I was so naive that I, I mean, I thought that that's what it could have meant also. And not saying that it doesn't because there are there are some genes that, you know, it would it would that would happen. But um most likely your body just doesn't accept it and you just start you know, you just move on and start your period and that's kind of like your body knowing like okay, this is this is not going to work, so we're just going to like skip it. Yeah. So abnormals, typically, it just means that like, okay, it's not going to be accepted. Or if it is, your body's probably going to recognize pretty soon after that like, this isn't going to come on. Whereas mosaic, it could go either way. Is kind of what you're saying? Yeah. So did, did your doctor like recommend if you should or should not try to transfer it? Um. So it was up to us. Uh, he, uh, My doctor's really good at not giving... <laughs> recommendations he gives you the facts and then says it's your choice which i love about my doctor but that's a whole nother conversation but we decided that it probably wasn't the best you know idea we did keep we did keep them you know we we didn't destroy them we kept them and we decided that um i would just do another retrieval um and now i just want to back up a little bit did you have to pay out of pocket for testing and if so what was the cost for you i paid out of pocket for everything oh for uh, everything okay yeah so i don't i don't have any sort of like insurance coverage most of the most of the testing um you know, like the embryo testing, I believe is about $5,000. But you can you can test, I believe that $5,000 is up to like 15 embryos. You you don't necessarily have to test every time you retrieve. You could batch, so you could freeze them and wait until you have a substantial amount and then test, but it's about five grand. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know about the batch testing or like being able to test so many with that much because yeah, that's definitely one of the things that we decided against with um, testing at first. Number one, our doctor was like, you guys are so young and healthy, I don't recommend. He literally was like, no, it's not even worth it. And, but now that we've had, you know, a, a failed implantation and then a miscarriage, now when we last talked to him, he's like, well, maybe we should have tested because now he's like, I'm not sure what's going on here. But yeah, he did recommend, okay, you should do it next time. And But that was one reason why we were against it is because $5,000 out of pocket on top of whatever else you're paying for is a lot and it's not guaranteed. So it's kind of like, you know, back and forth. But, and I do, I don't know if you feel like this, but sometimes I feel like people shame people for not testing. When it's like, yeah, but it's not, it's, 
or testing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's like another weird conversation that it's like to test or not to test. And like the weirdness that comes with that question, it's like, that's, that's someone's choice, you know? And, and, and why wouldn't you, if you have, if you're not having success, it's like, if that's what you want to do, do it. Yeah. To me, it's like the beginning of mom shaming. It's like, oh, you didn't test your embryos? Like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you just have to go with whatever works best for you financially and just really, truly what you want to do. It's not, nobody should get to like decide, you know, what you should have done. So how did you cope with two failed rounds in a row? Because I feel like at that point, it might have weighed on you a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it It definitely, it definitely had started becoming difficult. Um, at that point, too, like, my relationship with my husband had got a little rocky. I think it's because he he's so used to me being so like level-headed and even keeled and I mean we don't ever fight we don't it's just such an easy relationship that I think that when he saw me like on medication he was like this is insane and the funny thing is so many people that saw me were like oh this is nothing like even my doctor and the nurses were like oh, you're upset about this? Like, oh, this is nothing. Like, we've seen wives, like, punch their husbands in the face. Like, yeah, like, she's she's pretty chill. But I think him seeing me not so level-headed, like, really threw him off balance. (gasps) He made a lot of, like, off-key comments that I don't think he necessarily meant. I think that they process things as men very differently as we do. Especially, like I said, like my husband is, he's the greatest guy in the whole entire world. But when it comes to emotions and when when it comes to me being upset, he's like, like he doesn't know what to do, you know? So yeah, I think too, it's like, you know, going through all the fertility treatments, it's you are really going through a lot yourself you're not the same person. I mean, literally, they're changing your hormones. You know, they're like every, there's so much medication in your body. There's so many things going through you that like we really aren't really our true selves when we're going through fertility stuff. For sure. So to them, it's like, wait, why are you crying? (laughs) Like, You know what I mean? It's like, because I'm going through something, you know, like, or me, like, I don't know if you were ever like this, but see, I'm the type of person I eat like small meals throughout the day normally. When I was going through preparing my body for the transfer, I was ravenous. Like I was like up at like three in the morning eating and like every day I was like starving, like not myself, just like eating everything around me at all times. And it's like just little things like that. They're just like this monster (laughs) next to me is like going crazy. Do you have, um, because you mentioned to me that around the time that you had your second failed IVF round that you started to get sort of like self-doubt thoughts maybe a little bit more. So what advice would you give to those who are struggling with self-doubt when it comes to infertility? That like, oh, maybe maybe I'm not meant to be this or maybe I'm maybe I can't do this. What would what kind of advice would you give? That's really hard because everyone's journey is so different and everyone's thought process is so different. I mean, with me, that was really hard because I kept telling myself, what is the purpose of my life if not to be a mother? Some people don't have it as extreme. 
Now, some people are like, I would love to have a kid, but if it doesn't work, like I'm okay, you know? And at that point I had not gotten to the, I would be okay point. Like there was still a wall there that if I can't be a mom, like I do not know what my purpose is. And I think the best advice for that would be like self-love and self-care and to remember that like whatever, I, I wouldn't say like whatever your journey is supposed to be will be because that's another thing that like drives me nuts when people tell me that too. Like, oh, ugh, that's a whole nother story again. Like, oh, if God wants you to have a baby, you'll have one. Like if one more person says that to me, like I'm, go- I'm gonna lose my mind. But it's like, there's a journey and you just kind of don't know what your journey is for yet. And just to kind of like trust the process. You know, that that would be my advice to just be to just try as hard as possible not to cave into yourself and to have that self-doubt and just know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, whatever that light may be. And I think, too, with that whole like trusting the process or, you know, just trying to give yourself more, I guess, grace or compassion would be to literally take every day as it comes kind of do you feel like you've done that more now with fertility not so much like look in the future but okay today is this day and this is what's around me I think I'm I think I'm much bad much better at that now I think I was horrible at it then but now it's kind of like you know okay like yeah because I think what you said about like well what is my purpose purpose if I can't be a mom that's exactly how I felt probably still feel a little bit still you know I think a lot of women feel that way and so it's one of the things um when it comes to thinking of well what if this doesn't work that I've found that works for me is just okay I can't worry about what if in the future anymore because it's only hurting me more and we can't there's nothing we can do about this process right now all we can do right now is just one step at a time and like you know not not even worry about the the round after this round or whatever you know like just take it as it comes I think that helps that would probably help a little bit with self-doubt maybe even a little bit but for sure so when you moved on to your third round did you do what kind of testing did you do did you change up anything so um starting my third round I went on a very strict vitamin regimen there was this doctor that worked with my doctor that was like a naturopathic uh, doctor. So I had this uh, this crazy blood test done that shows like everything that might be like wonky in my system. And then we attacked those things. So it's like, I, you know, my iron wasn't, you know, where it was supposed to be. I had like certain <clears throat> like metals in my, in my blood that weren't supposed to be there. You know, like I, I kind of went a little crazy on like the testing and like what I did for it a little bit. Like it was like, I didn't have nail polish that round, you know, because it was like, okay. In my head, I'm like, that's why it didn't work was because I had formaldehyde in my system. Like I, everything that went through my head went through my head but I would say I took an an ovarian supplement which was like a powder and I feel like that must have helped because I had a pretty a pretty successful retrieval that that round so tell us about that third round then since you were saying it was really successful what ended up happening with that 
So um, I have a really horrible memory and I'm not one of those people that write down like, you know, on this day, you know, this was my test result and this day because I feel I, I feel like it's a detriment for me. So I, I don't really remember exactly how many we retrieved, but I think it was around we retrieved 12 and I think um, five ended up getting all the way to day five. And at that point, I decided to batch, to freeze them, and to, to go into another retrieval right away. Oh, wow. Okay. So then what happened with that retrieval? So again, we ended up with, uh, I think, like three or four, and then we tested them. And then after testing, oh, well, we sent seven total in for testing. And I remember my doctor saying, you'll be lucky and be hopeful to have a couple normal embryos. So I went into that thinking like, okay, if we have two normal embryos, like I'm going to be so excited. And I was so scared for that phone call. But when I got it, they were like, you have seven normal embryos. Wow. I know I was shocked from having such poor results in the beginning to five, five normal was awesome that's great so then did you go in and do so you did a probably did a frozen transfer right so we did I yeah all of my transfers have been frozen transfers and how many did you since you had seven that were great how many did you transfer so we had seven total five were normal two ended up being abnormal we kept them but um I transferred two again just because I was like, you have better odds, you have all these things, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having twins, you know, so we transferred two. Again, like super hopeful, tested throughout the whole entire thing like a crazy person again. Did you get a positive test when you were testing? So I didn't get like a, like a verified positive test. It wasn't like, you know, I got a positive test by like holding it up to the light mm-hmm. and like shining a flashlight at like the right angle, like I, I, I got one that was, that was faint positive. How did you feel during that two week wait? Like what were the emotions going through your head, especially kind of getting like a faint positive? I was super hopeful again. Like I knew that this round was going to work. Like I did everything possible to make sure that everything was perfect. I I had my transfer. I stayed in Santa Monica because my doctor, my doctor knows me pretty well and knows that I'm kind of like, I'm like a a crazy person. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's something on my table. I need to get it off. Like I, it's very hard for me to like loose and calm down. So my doctor is like, I think that you guys should probably stay in a hotel for, you know, a few days and be pretty much on bed rest. And so we did and I didn't, you know, I wasn't stressed. I watched movies. It drove me crazy, but I did it, you know, and then, yeah, and then beta came. So before we get to your beta, do you have any advice to give to somebody who is in their dreaded two week wait? Like anything that you'd recommend <laughs> to kind of make that easier? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think... To be brutally honest, nobody is ever going to have an easy two-week wait. If somebody says, like, yeah, it was totally relaxing. I never tested. I wasn't worried. They're lying. They're not telling the truth. It's total BS. The only, I mean, there's no advice I can really honestly give because I, I know how crazy 
those two weeks are. I think that you have to set up something fun like each day. So there has to be something that you're looking forward to tomorrow, right? If it's, if it's something as simple as like what you're going to make for dinner or like, okay, so tomorrow we're going to go on a walk or tomorrow we're going to go out here. It's just, you have to set yourself up to know that like, tomorrow's coming you know there's other things in your life besides peeing on a stick and living in the bathroom I would also advise to stay off Instagram yeah I think for sure you can't just have a two-week wait and it's just like I have no plans like you have to keep yourself totally um entertained or your mind on something else the entire time because it is so hard like, I think assuming. especially around like two to three days after you're like, I want to test, but then there's still so much time left before you, you have your beta. So that's when you start getting in your head. Like I went in mind thinking I'm not going to test at all. And then like day three comes and I'm like, I have to test. Like, Oh, for sure. I think, I think that's like a thing too, where you're like, okay, I'm setting boundaries. I'm not going to test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't set expectations because you're going to break up. Yeah, because my transfers were always on a Friday. So I was like, oh, yeah, get through the weekend. No big deal. Monday comes around. I'm like, I want to test. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's always the hardest. So what tell us about your beta day. I went into beta, honestly, like pretty hopeful because, you know, people always talk about these like twinges and feelings. And I, I felt different than my first transfer. I, I, I went in hopeful, but I was still guarded. I still knew that, you know, I tested that morning and it was negative. And I still knew that, you know, the likelihood of it being positive at that point was not great, but I was still pretty hopeful. Yeah. And then I got that call. <laughs> I didn't really know how to take that. My do- My nurse called And I don't even think she knew how to really like pass on the news, but she was like, so like, this is literally what she sounded like. Mind you, I love her. She's like, so your beta results came back and it's a six. (laughs) I was like, okay. Like, so what does that mean? You know, like, because they tell you one to four, right. Is negative. And so you're like, okay, so am I pregnant? You know? And she's like, well, we don't know. We're going to have to retest you in three days, but stay on all your medication and we'll test you then. So of course I came home and I didn't tell my husband right away. I remember getting on Instagram, which like is the worst thing that you can do because you never find the answers that you want to find on Instagram, even though you go searching for them. I was Googling, you know, positive outcomes of people who ended up with like a low first beta. And I was reading all these like wonderful, amazing stories or these comments that people were saying like, oh, my first beta was a six and now he's turning four and he's healthy and everything was great. So I was super hopeful. And then beta number two came and it doubled to 12. And so, you know, you always hear you want it to double. I remember my nurse telling me like, let's hope that it the number just like skyrockets the next time, but it didn't, it was a 12. And so, you know, she seemed very confused. <laughs> she said, well, we want it to double, but those numbers aren't great. And I remember asking her, well, you've worked for the doctor's office for so long. 
like have you ever seen somebody with a low beta that ha- that it ended up being a live birth and she said no not with a 12 on your second beta at that point when she said that i knew that it hadn't worked but then she hit me with stay on your medication <laughs> And we're going to retest you in another three days. I feel like that, because I've been there, is the biggest slap in the face of like, keep injecting yourself with all this stuff, um, but you're probably not going to end up with a baby. It's like, because then it's like, you're like resentful of every time you have to do that injection because before it's like, oh, this is good for me. And then you're just like, ugh. (laughs) No, absolutely. So I feel you there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think... I think it was hard too because, you know, nobody ever told me you're pregnant or you're not pregnant or like, so I had no idea really what was happening in my body. So then I went for a beta again. My number went from 12 to like 14. And so again, she was like, stay on the medication, but we're going to retest you in two days. And so my... My husband's still giving me injections because it's the one, it's the big needle in the butt. And I'm like, I can do all the other shots, no problem. But that one, I just can't, mm no, no, no. And then I retested and it was down to a two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, it had, it had been like almost two weeks after my two-week wait. Yeah, I I 100% have so much like sympathy and compassion for you because I understand. I didn't have to do it anywhere near as long as you, but that it's almost worse than a two-week wait when they're like, okay, it's great. And then, oh, wait, but the next one, it's not what we wanted. So let's just keep going, keep doing your meds. And then, oh, this, because then for me, mine was like, oh, it dropped by half, but stay on your meds because it could go back up. And I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. It's the worst for sure. And that Wouldn't that happen to you? Like, were you Googling like the craziest things? Were you like trying to find answers on the internet? Or did you kind of just like at that point, trust the process and just wait? Well, when they first told me, first of all, when I got my first beta, I was Googling the numbers because you want to like compare it to other people because I tested early actually because I was spotting and I was having a really bad sharp pain. So they were like, actually, let's have you come in early just to make sure like nothing crazy is happening with you. And then when they got the number, they're like, oh, it's actually pretty high for how early it is. It was like, I don't know, 170 something. And they were like, this, it's not bad. Or or 160, 140, something like that. But then the second time I went in a few days later, it hadn't quite doubled, but it still was pretty close to doubling. So they were like, okay, that's not bad. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) So weird, right? They're like, yeah, they were like, yeah, it's not bad. Like, it didn't double, but it's okay. Sometimes early on, it doesn't quite double. And I'm like, okay. And then when they had, then I had a feeling before the next appointment, I just knew something was wrong because I, there were certain symptoms I had that started to go away. And I was like, uh, I feel like something weird's happening. So then they tested me and it had dropped by half, which at that point, I kind of was like, I pretty much was going to accept that I was going to miscarry. And then they, um, but then they were like, but stay on your meds. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like dropped, you know? And then, then the next time I had to go in, they were like, okay, now it's down to 50. So we're just going to have you get off your meds. And I was like, okay. But I, I did Google like that whole, like, if it dropped, is that okay? Has there anybody who's experienced? I mean, that's all you do when you're doing IVF. I feel like it's Googling. <laughs> 
And the, the unfortunate thing is that everybody has different experiences. So even if someone did go back up or did skyrocket after such a low number, like everybody is different. So it's really hard. It's one of those things where you just kind of have to like, okay, that's what the news is today. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. So even though you went in knowing that this was going to be difficult, has this process affected your marriage in any way? Or do you think that it was good the whole time or any any kind of like yeah I mean like I said I think it's it's made our marriage stronger for sure there's definitely been some hiccups you know I mean there's definitely been some arguments there's definitely been some things that that people have said you know within our family that like have affected me and in turn affect my husband. But all in all, I would say we're stronger because of it. You know, this last time my husband told me, which again, he nicest guy in the world, but he's not, there's, there's not a lot of like lovey dovey. So mean to say, but like, he's just not very emotional, you know? And he told me last time, he said, no matter if you have a baby or if you don't have a baby, it's not going to change our relationship. And I think that when he said that to me, it was like, that was the first time that I felt like everything was going to be okay. I was so thankful at that time that he said that to me and I told him and he was like, he is looking at me like, well, don't you already know that? It's like, you want to shake them sometimes to be like, sometimes we just need you to say it. That was like a turning point for me because it was like, okay, he's still going to love me at the end of the day, even if we don't have kids. Yeah, that had to be really kind of like a relief almost for you. Yeah, I mean, it really was. It, it, I mean, I knew, I knew that it would be that way, but it's like, I needed him to tell me that. Sometimes it's just, we need to ha- like... we need them to communicate to us, you know, like, because I struggled with like, my husband not really talking about his emotions with the miscarriage. And I'm like, does this not bother you? (laughs) Like, are you not upset? Because I'm upset, (laughs) you know, and same with yeah, yeah. And, you know, we had a conversation about that, too. And he was like, he was more concerned about me than he was about what was happening. You know, I was concerned about like, are you not upset that we like were kind of pregnant? Like, and then now we're not pregnant. And like, this was our like chance. And he's, he's like, well, I'm, I'm concerned about you. Yeah. I think that's a really common like thing. I think like they're trying to be there for you and supportive and like not make it about them, even though like it is still something it's theirs, you know, it's still their loss as well. But yeah, sometimes I think they try to be strong and it's like, you know what? Sometimes it's okay for you to be emotional about something that, is you know upsetting yeah so what are your next steps I was actually I was waiting to start my period again and I was gonna go like right back to the doctor I was one of those lucky people that have actually gained a lot of weight through this process and so I have committed to myself that I'm gonna give myself three months to get kind of back into like the healthiest that I could be before going back to the doctor. Just because, I mean, I just don't feel that my body is where it needs to be to start this process again. And I I want to go into it knowing, you know, that I've taken care of myself and that like I'm the best that I can be for 
to start again. Yeah, that's, I think a lot of people kind of will go through that with their process. Um, Even myself this time, I'm like, I'm going to try to focus on my wellness and my like nutrition a little bit more, like instead of just eating whatever I want, like maybe it's time to like eat more, you know, nutritious, beneficial foods to get my body prepped for this. Like, not that I think it has anything to do with it, but if there's anything I can do (laughs) to help, you know, you never know. Sure, for sure. So what's one thing that you wish you knew before starting IBF? One thing? (laughs) Well, okay. Um, Anything, (laughs) anything at all. (laughs) Um, To not expect to have a plan would probably be the one thing that I wish that I could tell myself. Um, Again, I'm such, I'm a person that like, even when we go on vacation, I need to know what we're doing at 12 o'clock on Tuesday at, you know, it's like, I want to have a set plan of every single day, like what's happening, what am I doing? For me, IVF was just such it, it was very hard for me because it's like, your plans are going to change. Oh, you think that you're going to start your meds next Wednesday? You're probably not. You're, you're probably going to, something's going to happen. You have a cyst. You, you know, it's like, there's going to be something that comes up. So just don't, don't schedule the rest of your life around what you think your IVF plan is going to be. I, I would, that's probably what I would say as well, because that was one of the most surprising things to me with IVF is because they give you here's your outline and you're like okay cool we're doing my transfer on this day (laughs) and then it's like actually you're doing your transfer three months later (laughs) because there's so many things that happen yeah so many things that come up and you know it's like it's just crazy it's a crazy whirlwind thing to go through it definitely is Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Um, I really enjoyed learning about your story a little bit. And I am sure that some part of your story is going to resonate with someone out there, no matter, you know, what point. Yeah, it definitely will. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Well, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Infertile Millennial. Again, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, make sure to email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com and I will see you guys next time.